you know. I like all the music, the contemporary music, but uh, sometimes it's, it's great to look at some of these great hymns. Would you take your Bibles? I'm just going to move right ahead. I've got something I've got to say, and uh, we're going to try to get it out. From, if you take your Bibles and, and be ready for Matthew chapter 5, and, and then we're going to flip over to chapter 7 in just a minute. But, but let me make a couple of introductory remarks and kind of set the stage for us. You know, uh, we have a great family here at Word of Life. And, and as I said earlier, we get to love each of you. You're the coolest. And, and those of you that know me and, and spend some time maybe outside of the church, uh, you understand that I, I, I want to be a positive person. I want to take the most positive spin on everything that I can. And I try to look at anybody and I say, where's the good part of that guy? And, but as I look it into the future of some of the stuff that's happening in our world, I, I say, oh, I'm concerned. Is that all right to be concerned? I see stuff everywhere. I see the direction that our culture is trying to move us. The, the institutions of society seem to reflect and cater to the culture, if you're there. And sometimes I don't know who's leading who. Is, is it the government, or is it the church, or is it something else? Is it leading, or is it Hollywood, or is it TV? I tell you, the more I know about the, quote, the new normal, the less I like. And I don't even watch it. But, you know, I get snippets on the news. And just blatantly coming out and making fun of the church every which way it can. And, and you, you see all these different things, the blogs that are out there, that begin to modify and try to put the culture in, into the frame that it wants us to be. And then we look at the Middle East. We look at Libya and Iraq and Iran and Lebanon and Afghanistan and Egypt and in Europe, and Greece, and Italy. And we see a world and a country functioning seemingly without any fundamental core principles. Who can demonstrate the loudest? Uh, it seems like we have a world that's without a sense of absolute truth. It's what we or certain people believe today. And who can yell the loudest? And, and it seems to be on a sliding scale. There are, our culture is on a sliding scale of self-indulgence. If you understand where I'm at. And interestingly enough, I, I listened to uh, our two youth speakers in the youth on Wednesday night. Matthew, he gave a fabulous teaching and, and was talking about how so much of the youth culture is, is, is all about me. It's, it's about me. It's about me. It's all about me. And then Alex, he, he was teaching this week, and, it was, and he brought up some of those same things again. It's about us. And it seems like everything today in the culture is about what pleases me and, and what can I get. You know, I deserve, I'm entitled 
to this and this and this and this. And, and where do we go from here? What do Christians do and say? What does the church do and say? And, and, and sometimes I'd like to crawl into a corner and say, I'm okay, you're okay. Or we just uh, want to say, I, I want to be happy. Let's be happy, everybody. But, but I think church, and, and my, one of my mechanic friends over at Monroe, he said, Pastor Gary, preach it. Preach it tomorrow. And I said, my mechanic tells me that? Holy cow. You know, and, and I just believe that I, I've got to be faithful to the word. Is that okay? As, as we look at the culture, I think we, we need to be honest about what's happening out there. You know, I'm, I'm reminded that as Christian folks, we need to be peculiar people. Now, I didn't check it for sure, but I think that's, that is the King James rendering of that particular verse. But the more I, I see it, it's almost like, I like that the best. <laughs> because if, if we really are going to be the persons that we need to be, we need to pretty much be unique and stand out when, it, when the culture is around us. And you see, the, the culture should not determine who we are. That would be a good place to say amen. amen. The culture does not determine who we are. The Word does. The Scripture does. God does. That leads me to looking at, at Matthew chapter 5. And you have your Bibles ready there. And verse 13. I'd like to start. And we're going to read three, four verses. And then we'll skip over to chapter 7. Matthew five thirteen. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That was really the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. Then, if we flip over to almost the end of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, verse 24. Chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, let everyone who hears these words of mine and put them into practice, it is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came. Sandy. We can make some parallels now, but we won't. Will we, Wilsons? No. The rains came, it says. Uh, rain 25. And the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, it is like a foolish man who built his house on sand... The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
Have you seen some of the pictures on the TV in the last day or two? Some of these houses, as this, this storm, this sandy, the storm that they call Sandy is, is beating up, and some of these houses that are out there, and the waves keep coming over, my goodness. But you see, in, in Matthew 7, Jesus is trying to say what happens in both cases. What happens if you built your house on the rock? You'll be secure. When you build your house on the sand and you don't have the foundation, there'll be a great crash. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the instructions in your word that help us to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, you have an awesome plan for us. You have a plan that would allow us to be successful in the different aspects of our lives as we follow your commands, as you have told your people for, for centuries. Lord, allow us to see it. Give us ears to hear, O oh God, and be able to see how it applies to us today. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. When, when Jesus began to describe what a, a Christian should look like, he begins talking about a very common commodity, salt. It's everywhere. It's on the dinner table. Well, I should back up. It's on some dinner tables. Some have pulled it got rid of it. It's inexpensive. Everybody knows what it is and what it does. In the time of Jesus on the earth, salt was connected in people's minds with three special uh, qualities. Salt. Salt. Does salt come real big in a big rock and then they have to break it up? Or does it come in granules? Who knows? Big rocks. Now, we have some salt under us. Okay. Thank you, Bob. He's my dictionary. He's a Google man. You can just talk to him. You don't need Google. But salt, salt. And, and, and in, in Jesus' time, as I said, it, it had some special qualities that everybody understood. Uh, salt, first off, it purifies. And it's a symbol for purity. Jesus calls us the salt the purity of the earth. And we are to be examples of purity. And if you haven't noticed, we live in a world today that is in the business of, they're in the business of lowering the standard of purity. It gets to be a game almost, seemingly to them. They see how close to the ledge, how close to the to the line of morality can they go. They see how we were provocative last year, but let's see if we can be a little more provocative this year. And it gets to be just on and on. The line that is already far down the road, it seems uh, the girls' outfits are getting smaller and smaller, and we have the bedroom scenes and all this stuff, and words that shock, words that have to be bleeped, and that, to them, is, of course, cool. And the closer you can get to that ledge, 
the cooler they think they are. And they giggle and all this stuff. They're getting as close. And, but interestingly enough, church, I believe, and this, you, may, you may beg to differ on this, but I believe the world looks at the church and the people of the church differently. I believe they're looking for a church to be different. They're looking for the church to be different. And they want religious people to be religious. They expect it. And they, they are disappointed when things happen in it. And, and, and they, they fall. When Jimmy Swaggart had his affairs, it hit the headlines. It affected everything. We all got a black eye. Because Jimmy Swaggart messed up. And in the world's eyes, we're supposed to be better than that. Interestingly enough, when Bill Clinton had one of his major indiscretions, it was just a little mistake. You know, it wasn't a big thing, and he can still be president. But that indiscretion changed the whole culture. It changed the interpretation of sexuality and proper sexuality. The definition of sex and sin seemed to be changed. But don't be misled. There is still a pattern of purity that is respected. When we we look at Ken Bickerstaff and we say, he was married, 65 was it? Up there in the 60s. And and when we see the person that was, was been married faithfully for 40 or 50 years, we say those people deserve a, a certain honor. And I don't think there is a young man in the world that would rather marry a girl with, quote, sexual experience than to marry a virgin. We, it is wonderful to know that the body of the one you are to marry has been reserved solely for you. So, God has called us to be the salt, the, the symbol of purity on this earth. And I encourage you to, to lead and to live in purity. And in the ancient world, not so much now, but it, salt was a preservative. Salt preserves. It keeps things from going bad. And Jesus called us the salt, the preservative for the earth. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 18 the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? It's an interesting story as you look at it in this way. The Lord said, uh, verse 20 of of, uh, Genesis 18, the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Interesting This could be discussed on several levels, but Abraham began to negotiate with God. God was ready to wipe these two cities off off the map. The men turned away, verse 22, it says, and and went toward Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Adam approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous 
with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. He was quite a negotiator, wasn't he? It's interesting, church, on, on a couple of levels, and we'll talk about it, but one is, is the care that Abraham had for even the wicked people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted to save them. He wanted them to be saved. But as you know, um, and for this part of this illustration, uh, Abraham continues. Apparently there wasn't 50. He asked about 45, and he asked about 40, and he asked about 30, and he asked about 20, and he asked about 10. And you see, I I believe the intent of this scripture was to say that if there would have been 10 Christians, he might have saved Sodom and Gomorrah. The preservation, the preservative element of, of Christians in this world cannot be overestimated. If there were Christians in Sodom and Gomorrah, there, there could have been an act of preservation there. Jesus called us the salt. And I looked up in my computer and went down to the line to say uh, synonyms found out some synonyms for preserve. And it said to protect, to safeguard, to defend, to care for. As as mean as this world can get, church, God has called us to be a preservative. And, And as wicked as they can sometimes be, God wants us to reach out and try to protect and try to safeguard. That's why we pray for our valley. That's why we pray for our our pastors that we can continue to be salt out into the community. We can pray, we can defend, we can try to care for our people, our neighbors, our state, our, our country. So, salt purifies, salt preserves. But most, the most obvious quality of salt is that salt gives flavor to things. I like salt. Don't tell the health food. If the health food people in here, just close your ears for just a second. You know, I'm, my wife is encouraging me to, to eat this uh, 95%, is it, popcorn? 94% fat-free. Now, to me, I like to cook it with some oil and put it in my pressure cooker. You know, I, I just use it because it's a good pot to, to cook my popcorn, and I fill up the respect uh, bag, and I can eat about this much popcorn. But she has got me into this uh, 94% microwave stuff, and sometimes I think the bag would taste just as good. <laughs> there is no taste to that popcorn. But... But what does make it a little better is now I get the kind of low-calorie spray butter. And, and I'll, I'll pop the popcorn with the bag, and, and, and my wife will watch approvingly of how I do it, you know. And, uh, and then uh, I, I could just a tad bit over, almost burnt. You know, it just has a nice flavor to it, just a little bit black, you know. And then I spray it a little bit with this butter, this low-calorie butter, and then a little lowery seasoning salt. Ooh! Now, that is, that is almost as good as the big bag uh, cooked in the traditional way. Salt, salt calls, God calls us 
to be the flavor of the earth. A God life, a life that we were meant to live. And, and sometimes people look at us and they say, you know, that, that Christian life, that seems awful dull, awful yuck. Oliver Wendell Holmes, the American judge, said, I, I, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. <laughs> but we should, as Christians, have the peace that passes all understanding. And in the depressed world, Christians should have the joy unspeakable. And it's not that we don't have issues to deal with and stuff. But God has said that we can bring flavor to this earth. Um, If salt, the scripture in Matthew says, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Salt that is pure cannot lose its saltiness and flavor. It can only lose its saltiness if it's mixed with impurities. How do Christians lose their saltiness? How do they lose their flavor? They lose it when we lose our purity and we are no longer able to preserve and no longer add flavor to the earth. We've seen this played out in preachers, as I've mentioned before, but when God wants the church to stand tall. James uh, chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, that we look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's not easy. God never said it was going to be easy. Everywhere they want you to be as cool like them. But God has said we were created to be salt. When we lose our purity, when we no longer live and preach a biblical morality, we lose our saltiness. And, and, and can I just mention this as we, as we move on here quickly? How does the enemy try to work in our lives? And you've heard me say this. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But look at it. He comes to steal our purity. He then kills our convictions and destroys our influence. He steals our purity. He kills, and then that will kill our convictions and destroy our influence. We are to be salt, and we are to be light. Let me move ahead, and and I I want to get to kind of the application of, of this as quickly as I can. But we're also to be the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. This is from Matthew five fourteen. now going into 15. Verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. God told his followers that when he was there, he would be the light of the world. But now, 
You are the light of the world. Let your light shine. You are to be the light. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a reflected light, if I can say it that way. It's a, it's a light that reflects off of us. A light, the light of the world. And, and just a couple of quick points on light. A Christian light is meant to be seen. We don't hide it under a bowl. Say amen there. We don't hide it under a bowl. Our Christianity should be perfectly visible to everyone. And, and Jesus didn't say, you're to be the light of the church. Right? You're to be the light of the world. world. And light is to be seen. Light is to be a guide. And how many have flown into a city at night in an airplane? And it may be a little cloudy up there, especially when it's kind of cloudy. And you know the airplane's going down and down and down and down, but you can't see anything. And you say, I hope there's an airport out there somewhere. Down and down and down it goes. Still don't see anything. And then the clouds kind of break away, and you see the landing strip. God is good. I'm glad to be back on land again. You know, God is is wanting to say to us that he can be our guide and we can be a guide to the world. We can be a guide to the world. But, But a light can also be a warning. But the warning lights that we shine have to be done in love. They have to be done in love. When we warn the world, when, when we speak uh, and, and working in, through our lives, we have to speak warnings in love. I love the way Jesus talked to the woman that was brought and the people were trying to stone her. And, and as he, he spoke to the crowd and he spoke to the woman. And he said, neither do I contemn you. Go and sin no more. And, and, and I, I believe as we reach to the world, we low the world's out there and stuff. But we can say, hey, you can turn the corner. You can turn the corner. You can turn the corner. Let me, let me just skip a little bit. I, uh, I, I want to get to this last Last part. I, I think God wants us to be. Uh, in, he wants us to infiltrate every sphere of our culture. He wants us to be in our educational areas. He wants us to be a part of of our schools. He wants us to be a part of of politics. He wants us to be a part of business and in entertainment and science and arts. We can be light in all of those areas. And and let me quickly say that Esther was was there for a time as this. Remember? When she had to go see the king. And when she was there, uh, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Sometimes as we are the light and salt of the world, we must speak to the issues. Daniel, when they said they couldn't pray, when they had to worship the idol, 
he said, I'm going to go to my room. I'm going to open my window to Jerusalem. And I'm there. And, and Peter also, they were taking him. He said, Peter, you can't talk. You can't talk. You can't, you can't uh, talk anymore about what God wants you to talk about. But, but Peter said um, in Acts chapter 4, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help, cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And church, at, at these election times, we can all have our opinions about a lot of stuff. Amen? You know, I could start going down the multiple issues, and I was just starting to write them down last night. Windmills, solar power, coal, Libya, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, fracking, budgets, deficits, social issues, governmental uh, subsidies, stimulus... And, and we can have opinions on that, and, and we can think about that, and that's important. But as we look at our culture, there are religious issues, issues of morality that are extremely important, that are extremely important. And one of them, I believe, is, is the issue, and, and last week, I think, was, or the week before, perhaps, was a, a kind of a right-to-life uh, Sunday. And, and I have to mention this again, because I, I didn't give it proper emphasis. You realize that approximately 42 million people a year are aborted in America. Excuse me, in the world. 1.37 million in the United States. 3,700 a day. That's a lot of killing. And, you know, I, I, I see the issues. And, and, folks, I don't, as a pastor, I, I think I can pass this. You know, I, I, want, I want to try to pass it off. I want to say, oh, it's not important how I vote, and it's not important, you know, when I think about this issue. But church, killing is killing. And it's not really a political issue. And, and really to say, church, I don't like abortion, but I don't want to impose my feelings on a woman because I want her to have the right to choose. After all, it's her body. And my response to that would be, it's not your body. It's not your body. You know, this is the body. Show it to assembly. Six weeks. Go ahead. Eight weeks. Twelve weeks. Sixteen weeks. Twenty weeks. Twenty-four. Twenty-nine. Thirty-three. This is the body that we're talking about. And we... In, in today's culture, we say we want to, to be tolerant and we don't want to, to make it an issue of it. But it, when we begin to cheapen life, church, we begin to lose our sense of, of life. And when, you know, when someone kills a pregnant woman 
it's been pretty much established in court now that the person is responsible for two deaths. Is that not right, Doc Scarpone? Two deaths. But we can kill it another way. And, and, and I think it, the, the, the process of abortion, and, and then when I begin to understand that some of the laws that are being made are saying that I'm going to pay for it. I? Me? I have to pay as a part of my taxes for that? I think it's an issue, church. And, and I, I would encourage you to ask or check on, on some of the, the senators and the congressmen and, and some of the people that you vote for. What is their position on this? What is their position on this? The, the, the culture, and let me mention one other thing that I believe in, in our process at this time of the year is, is also out there. It's the definition of marriage. And we're losing our understanding of, of the man and the woman in the family relationship. You know, if, if two people want to live together, that's one thing. But when we decide that our definition of what makes a family is that it can be anything, we, we lose track of God's plan that says that he wants and his, his ideal, and sometimes it, it's lost a little bit, but his ideal is, is a father and a mother. And if we see anything happening in the culture today, it's, it's the loss of the, the status of the father. The father is put down in every way, and, and the father is, is thought of less and less. And, and, our, and our welfare system almost rewards it. Because a, a, a woman can have another baby, and another baby, and be on welfare, and it's almost to her detriment to have the father come back into the house. They get less money. See, in, in our, sometimes in our, our desire, in the, in the grand scheme of helping, and, and the, the good intentions that may be there get lost and, and we don't end up where we, uh, what I sometimes refer to as the unintended good conse- uh, consequences. The unintended consequences of grand goals of accepting and helping everybody gets tangled up. And, and the net result down the road is, is not what we want and need. The Bible is still the best plan. The Bible is still the best plan. And... and you may be a Republican or a Democrat. That's okay. But, but I'd encourage you to check where your candidate is on moral issues. Because we are setting a pattern down the line. Some things that we put in place now can only get worse. They don't get better. And, and I'd encourage you to look at that. Um, God wants us to be the light. 
And when we go in and we vote for the mayors and the commissioners and the state senators and the national offices, we need to understand that there are consequences to elections. And, and we need to, to look at those carefully. You know, and we may say, well, it, it's okay. You know, we, we're just a church. We can come in and praise God. And we can kind of stay in our little, little, our little uh, shelter. But Erwin uh, Lutzer and his book, in his book, When a Nation Forgets God. Seven Lessons We Must Learn from Nazi Germany. He wrote, Back in the 1970s, Francis Schaeffer told that one day we would wake up and discover that the America that we once knew was gone. And, and we're very close to that today. The ominous signs that, that we're losing our freedom that we once thought was ours are disappearing. And it, it goes little by little. It goes little by little. And, and church, you know, that's why I say, and I started this message talking about salt and light. We're to be out there. We're to be involved. And God wants us uh, to, to be involved and, and to, to be educated and to, to look at the issues that are out there. God has, has a plan for this America. And, and I believe God has, has put the, back several hundred years ago, he set the, the foundational stones in place as we follow him, as we follow him and follow his commands and his interpretation of what truth is and what right is. Would you bow your heads? Nick, if you'd come and just a, a little bit of breathe, please. Let me, I, I talked about abortion today, and I, I want to make something clear to all of us and any person that might have gone through that experience of having an abortion. God can restore. God can restore. Um, but I, as pastor, I need to speak the truth. I need to speak God's plan. But, but if you've experienced this, God can give you a healing that will be only uh, described as supernatural. I'd like you to just to stand with me for a moment. And could we take just a, a moment to pray for our nation? Because of, of our calendar, the way we're having it, and Harold Overschlake is going to be here next week, so I don't want to take too much discussing um, these kind of things next week, but the election is the week after that, of course, in the week after that. But I want us to pray for our, our country. And, and whatever happens, there's going to be some losers. And we can go on. We can go on. And we can pray for God to, to help in, in that recovery. Can we just take, I'm just going to take 30 seconds or so for you just to pray in your own words silently for our nation. That God will, will keep us as community. Keep our hearts focused on you. Draw, and in many cases, draw peoples to a godly understanding of what truth is. Let me just give you a few moments and then I'll pray.
Lord, I pray for the United States of America. Lord, you know I'm a flag waver from way back. And I believe, for many reasons, you're not done with America. We have been a major missions force in the world of bringing the, the cause of the gospel all over the world. Lord, I believe there are millions of people that, that put you as their Savior and Lord. Lord, I just ask, even as it, it was illustrated with Sodom and Gomorrah, I, Lord, help us to be the preservative in this nation that you'll see the heart of your people and work to restore this country. Lord, we have issues. We have uh, all kinds of stuff out there. And decisions will be made in laws that will be coming up. Lord, but I, I believe that you can work in, in these situations, and these uh, negotiations, and these elections. Lord, allow them to be uh, good elections. There will be no uh, inconsistencies, no uh, voter fraud types of things. That there will be a, a straight election and then help our nation to move ahead. Help us to move in God. We'll be sure to give you the praise for what you do in us, through us, as salt, as light in this nation. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you, church. Let's go in God. Let's be the light. Amen. Amen.